Welcome back to the Fit Minute Podcast, fitness for real people, with your host, Gabrielle Mazar. Gabrielle Mazar. Happy New Year, and welcome back to the Fit Minute Podcast. On our first episode of 2022, we are welcoming Dr. Ashley Lucas, founder of PhD Weight Loss. She has firsthand experience with disordered eating during her rigorous training and professional career as a ballet dancer for 25 years. Dr. Ashley got her PhD in sports nutrition and chronic disease and was a registered dietitian before creating the PhD nutrition plan. And now here's your host, personal trainer and stretch therapist, Gabrielle Mazar. Gabrielle Mazar. Welcome back to the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Old People. I'm your host, Gabby Mazar. And on today's episode, I have Dr. Ashley Lucas, founder of PhD Weight Loss. She has her PhD in sports nutrition and chronic disease, and she is also a registered dietitian. Welcome to the show, Dr. Ashley. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gabby. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on. Let's start by having you tell us a little bit about your background. So you were a professional dancer, a ballerina for 25 years, right? quite a long time yeah so how did that lead to you wanting to go and get your phd and pursue a career in a completely different path yeah i mean they're they're tied to together so deeply i um like you said trained as a classical ballet dancer since i was like just a very little girl and um, my body naturally didn't conform to the requirements. So I was always just pushing it to do things that it didn't want to do. I was injured, I think, as a result of that and my poor nutrition the majority of my career. And I had a fairly successful career. You know, I performed in over 500 nutcrackers, but I think I had at least one stress, stress fracture in one or both feet for the majority of them. And I always had a difficult time conforming to the body shape required of that sport. You know, we're required to be pretty darn lean and my body just didn't want to do that. And so the only way I knew how to achieve or get close to it was by restricting myself. And so, you know, all calories in and calories out. I didn't eat very much. I counted fat grams because I thought if you ate fat, you got fat. I avoided red meat because it had a negative connotation. And I really think that as a result, I was injured often. And um, I danced with professional companies across the country. um, And I was chosen to perform in New York City, which, you know, is all of our dreams as dancers, performers. And in Instead of finding myself able to do the performances, I found myself in the ER and I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was either having a heart attack or had MS or some neurological situation. And so I had a whole bunch of tests done up there in the ER and the neurologist came back and said that I was just underfed and overexercised and that my body just couldn't take it anymore. And so I was flown home alone. I was embarrassed. I felt like a failure. I had to step away from dancing before a lot of people would have said that I really made it. And I was really fearful for my health future because I still had no idea what was going on and I did not feel well. Um, And so I just had to take a step back and 
dancing was my identity. I didn't know anything else. So I didn't know what to do with myself, um, but I understood how significantly nutrition impacted my own sport performance. So that's what I went on to do. And that's how I ended up going to Virginia Tech and I earned my PhD in sports nutrition and chronic disease. And there I studied exactly that. You know, I knew there had to be a way to drop weight without just chronically and severely restricting your calories. I knew there had to be a way to be able to optimize performance and feel good while you're doing it. Right. And, um, you know, so that's what I studied. I focused on energy metabolism and how do, do we get our body fat where it needs to be or where we want it in a healthy place in a sustainable fashion. And then most importantly, what are the mental and emotional aspects that we need to tackle to create sustainable change? So I studied that I went on and, um, uh, taught at the Ohio State University. And there I, I found my passion for creating dramatic change within people. I'm not very patient. <laughs> so the most people aren't. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I, I just really needed to see the impact um, that I could potentially create within others. And so I went back to school and completed my dietetic internship so that I could feel as though I was this true expert in the field of weight management, but there was a huge issue there. And that issue was that I was being taught all of the same information that I had implemented myself and didn't find success from. So you need to eat fewer calories. You need to exercise more. You need to have more discipline. Um, you just need more willpower. You should eat everything in moderation. And I knew that I had all of that nailed when I was dancing, but I still was told I was fat countless times and wasn't where I needed to be for my sport. And so I flipped all of that upside down, all of the conventional wisdom I flipped and took what I learned from my doctoral work and created the PhD approach that we now implement in our offices, you know, throughout the country. So that was a long story, but that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. I think, um, I think that that's a pretty typical story for not just dancing, uh, but a lot of fields. I think, I don't think most, most women or even men have the perfect ballerina body. You know, I think that all of many dancers are striving to be, or many athletes are striving to be something perfect. Uh, and that just doesn't, it doesn't exist. And everybody's body types are different and everybody's genetics are different. So you're trying to do this one size fits all thing that just isn't, it's not, it doesn't work, right? You know, you're, you're right. Calories in, calories out, as we're told for how many years is not the magic pill. No, it's not. So tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about PhD nutrition and what exactly it is. Uh, we know why you created it, but how does it, how does it work and what's the process? Yeah, well, it's a, a pretty intensive program. Um, looking at not just the science of what, when, and how much to eat. Um, that's definitely there, but understanding that for a lot of people, dropping weight is an addiction recovery process. And so when we look at it from that perspective, it can't just be what are we eating, but also why are we eating the way that we are? So 
for with us through PhD, we're, we're looking at this multifaceted aspect. Um, we shift how our clients eat so that they get into a state of fat burn. And I don't mean keto or Atkins, but looking at each unique individual, because it is not a one size fits all approach, as you said, and figuring out what their body can tolerate when we look at carbs and proteins and fats and kind of figuring out that secret sauce for each unique individual so that they can get in the state metabolic where they're burning fat and let go of the cravings and the hunger and the sugar addiction. So from the food aspect, that's what we're working on. And we continue to tweak the customized meal plan because as our body slims down, our metabolism changes, becomes more fast and efficient, what we eat also changes. Mm -hmm. And so we're really looking at that aspect. And then we have weekly one-on-one coaching. So our clients who are local might come in. We also have a really great, sophisticated nationwide at-home program. So we can care from, for people you know, wherever they might be, if they want to be at home. And so with that, we have weekly one-on-one coaching where we tweak the meal plan, make sure all the eating is right where it needs to be. And it feels good. That's what this is all about is feeling good. And tasting Um, good. (laughs) And tasting good. That's right. And then we then focus on the nutrition education, but unconventional. We never count points or calories I look at exercise as this really, really important wellness tool, but we know it's not a huge weight loss tool. Mm -hmm. And so how do we implement movement because it feels good? And then we also alternate the nutrition discussions with a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, understanding, like I said, this is an addiction recovery process for a lot of people. So talking about habits and behaviors and the mental and emotional component to create actual sustainable change. So every week, that's what we're doing, implementing the nutrition aspect also the behavioral aspect with the addiction recovery perspective, and then monitoring, holding accountable and holding our clients' hands through what they're actually eating. Yeah. We, we know so much, or we've heard so much about yo-yo dieting. And I think that, that, that's definitely one of the, one of the keys to it is that you're not creating sustainable change. Uh, you know, when you're getting on this, the Atkins diet and you just do it for however many weeks, you're not creating this behavioral change. You're Mm -hmm. seeing that there's an end in sight when I'm going to stop this. I'm going to do this for six weeks. I'm going to do this for four months. I'm going to, however long you do it. And you're right. There, there is an addiction component and there is a feel good, you know, to whatever you eat or, or the nostalgia of certain meals from your childhood or just what you've been doing your entire life. So it's this behavioral change and how you're changing your mindset to move forward, to create that sustainable component. And like you said, the exercise, it's not, it's also not just, it's a a tool in toolbox. So you have to do all of these pieces to really create that change. Right. Uh, So you have a, what is your philosophy on weight gain and why do you believe that it's not your fault? Yeah. So, so this gets into the science a little bit. Um, So what happens in our lives when we're struggling with weight in general is that we experience some kind of shift, some kind of trigger, you know, um, it changes the way that we tolerate our food. 
So for example, a common trigger among women might be pregnancy or menopause. For men, usually I see the trigger being some kind of stressful situation, uh, maybe job change or relationship change. For some people, the trigger is birth. And just genetically, they have a predisposition to store fat really well. Their body is just really good at it, just like you and I have brown hair, mm -hmm. just that simple. And so we have these different triggers, um, genetic situations coming into play, and our body creates this shift and starts to not tolerate food in the same way. So you can continue to eat the same way you did in the past and experience weight gain where before it wasn't even a consideration, you know, of, of gaining weight from eating X food. Now, if, if birth was your trigger, then you've just always had this fight. It's just been this constant struggle since you were young. And so what happens over time, after we go through this trigger, we accumulate this fat and it starts to accumulate specifically in the belly. This belly fat we know is a different beast. It's active. These fat cells in the tissue in the belly are active. So I want you to think of this belly fat, like a fat mass that has its own agenda and it's actually really hungry. And all it wants to do is create havoc so it can continue to grow, you know, and, and I've been talking about this for years. And what's really interesting with everything that's been going on with COVID, there is now science coming out showing that this visceral fat is a huge component to the inflammation, in the inflammation caused by the disease. Hmm. So I've always said, you know, the fat cells, they secrete these hormones they, that make you hungry, that make you crave, they slow your metabolism, they make you not want to move. Because the last thing this fat mass wants you to go do is expend a ton of energy like that's not going to help it. Yeah, I don't want to get smaller. Oh, I want to yeah, grow. <laughs> that all it wants to do is get fatter as fast as possible. But it also in the background secretes inflammatory hormones. The main one is interleukin six. And interleukin-6 is a major inflammatory hormone that leads to heart disease and increased cancer risk. And what they're finding in COVID cases is that, you know, the cytokines that they've been talking about that are secreted in the cytokine storm kind of talks to the visceral fat cells and makes them secrete even more interleukin-6. Hmm. So it's this interleukin-6 that causes all this inflammation in the body and is really the culprit. So I think this just sheds light on the fact that this visceral fat, the fat that you have in your belly is working against you and just wants to grow. Mm -hmm. And so if we only drop a portion of this excess fat weight, let's say you're carrying 50 pounds of fat weight and you drop 30 and you're like, okay, that's good. I look better. I feel better. I'm just going to stay here. And like you said, stop whatever I'm doing, go back to my old habits and behaviors because this was just a quote unquote diet. Right. Well, then you still have 20, 30 pounds of it left working against you. And you're at a 98% risk of it all coming back right there. You've just shaved the top off of this weed, so to speak, and you've left the root. It all comes back and you think, oh my gosh, I'm a failure. I've failed. I'm destined to be this way when it has no, nothing to do with you. Yeah. It is not your fault. You went through this trigger, but then you only dropped a portion of this ex excess weight and it's all coming back because it's almost, it acts like this tumor and all it wants to do is do that. So in order to really get the body into this place where you have a chance of maintaining it is to go all the way and fully collapse this hungry fat mass, pull out that root 
of that weed so that your metabolism can be much more fast and efficient and work the way that it naturally is supposed to. Yeah. So we touched a little bit on calories in versus calories out. Uh, can you explain a little bit more about why that is not the end all be all? What what matters in addition to calories in, calories out? Yeah, you know, the body's just a much more complicated system than a simple extremely system. complicated. <laughs> So we, you know, we can see clients all the time who come in and they're like, I ate perfectly this week and they did, but they're stressed out. You can put all the healthiest food in your body, but if you're stressed, you're going to have all these different hormones circulating that will not allow you to release the fat that's stored in the fat cell. Right. You know, and then the next week you practice stress management or your acute stressor goes away and you drop six pounds. So we're just not looking at the hormonal impacts of other things that are going on. And a calorie is not necessarily a calorie. Some calories work to induce more hunger and cravings mm -hmm. and others help to induce satiation, making you feel full and satisfied. Right. So it really does matter what you're putting in your body. I mean, when I was dancing, I would think to myself, well, a calorie is a calorie. I might as well just eat this candy corn because it's fat free. Mm -hmm. and just eat that. But then, oh my gosh, my body couldn't perform the way that it needed to. And I was hungry all the time. Whereas if I sugar had, spikes and yeah, <laughs> yeah, if yeah. I had just eaten an egg that, oh my gosh, has some fat in it. I would have been much more satiated, had the protein my muscles needed along with all, you know, the vitamins and minerals that would have done my body much better than the candy corn. Right. Um, so I have an autoimmune disease. I have Hashimoto's. Mm -hmm. Um, and I used to also think years when I first started, I was very much in that mindset of, you know, eat this, do this diet, exercise, whatever, but going through it myself and having gained, I think about, I don't know, what was it? 30, 40 pounds almost. It was extremely, extremely hard to get that weight off. And I still am not where I was, you yeah. know, it's, you also have to look at those types of things. Are you autoimmune? Are you diabetic? Are you, you know, whatever genetic conditions you have, are your hormones under control? Are you missing some nutrient that you're not getting or whatever? whatever tests you need to do to find out why you're not burning things efficiently and why you're not losing weight, even if you are doing things perfectly. So it's not, I think a lot of people have this idea that, oh, you're overweight, so just go on a diet. Why, why are you fat? When it's not just necessarily that people eat like crap. <laughs> And well, you know, the, the more fat mass that we have, the less we really need to eat because right. our metabolism is slower. When we do eat, I want you to think of it like the energy, the food that you do eat pummels in to feed the fat first. Yes. So everything is dysfunctional, you know? So people who are struggling with a lot of excess weight don't necessarily have to eat poorly and they don't necessarily have to eat that much. Um, you know, it, it's really not as simple as we have said that it is. And it gets very frustrating because people feel like it, you know, it's their fault or that they're a failure or absolutely yeah. they don't want to put the effort into it or take responsibility for it because they've just been shot down so many times. And then that creates a cycle of 
you know, the yo-yo dieting again, or just giving up because you feel like a failure for sure. Um, so I want to touch, touch a little bit on stress because I think that a lot of people are under stress, <laughs> uh, and I, it definitely affects a lot of things with your health. Um, so can you explain how, um, stress affects, affects you physically, um, and along with weight loss? Sure. So I'll try to explain this clearly, but, um, when we are stressed, you know, there's two types of stress, acute and chronic, the acute mm -hmm. stress is actually usually a good thing because it helps us be productive in the direction we need to go. Like if you're stressed out, um, in the morning to get your kids to school, it's going to push you to get out of the, out of the door on time, hopefully, or close to it. Like I try, um, <laughs> But if it is, you know, acute, I mean, chronic, the, the, that's something that doesn't do the body any good. And, and that's where we are most of the time right now. And so what happens is when we are under chronic stress, the body secretes cortisol. It secretes cortisol during acute stress too, but chronic stress is just chronically there. And cortisol is a really unique hormone. And it has a lot of control in the body and it reduces immunity. It increases risk for injury. But when we're in a state where we have high insulin levels, and usually when we're struggling with our weight, if we have hunger and cravings, usually most often insulin is going to be higher than we want it to be. Um, insulin is a fat storage hormone. It's a pretty inflammatory hormone. We do not. And I think we all can agree um, that we don't want insulin to be high. Right. When we have a lot of insulin and we have a lot of cortisol, cortisol um, triggers the fat cells to not release the triglycerides within the fat cell. We want the triglycerides to come out of the fat cell so we can burn it and, and drop that weight. Well, cortisol, think of it like acts like a key and lock when, when we're in a high insulin state, locks that fat in the fat cell so it can't get out. We can't burn it. It also relocates the fat. It has the power to relocate the fat from other parts of the body into the belly. And then we know that the visceral fat secretes all these hormones and visceral fat can also secrete cortisol at the tissue level in the belly fat. Of course. <laughs> of course it can. And so it's just this negative cascade of events. And that's why for some people, they just pack on the pounds when they're stressed and others who have low insulin are more likely to drop weight during periods of stress. So I hope that that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And cortisol, it can actually deplete, uh, other things in your body like hormones in your body as well, like progesterone. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's not only is it increasing some things, but it's depleting other things. So completely throwing your entire body out of whack, which right. is, you know, why you feel terrible. <laughs> yeah. You know, chronic stress is, is not good. And I think, we really need to find ways, especially now, especially over the past two years to really reduce stress and work on our, our mental state to reduce chronic stress, to reduce uh, disease, you know? I agree. I think, you know, 80% of dropping weight comes from the mind. Absolutely. Weight loss is a letting go process, letting go of the excess weight, but all those emotions that are tied to it. And I think many people think that they can tackle their weight without tackling the mindset. Yep. And, and they just can't. And if they do, it's only temporary. 
I really look at it going down in two equal lines. Wait, we have to have the mental and the emotional aspect and the the process of of dropping the weight go simultaneously. They have to match one another. And if we see weight loss go faster than the habit behavior, the mental, emotional component, then we know that that weight loss isn't going to be sustained. Absolutely. They they have to really be pair matched. And I think we can see that a lot in with weight loss surgery, especially uh, with the rate of the rate of people that gain the weight back because mm-hmm. you have to put in the work you have to put in the work i have seen i've seen clients who have been successful at it yeah. um but i think it's two percent two percent of people that get weight loss surgery actually are successful at mm-hmm. losing weight and keeping it off because you have to put in the mental work to quit your addiction to change your mindset to create that sustainable change a hundred percent yeah. So like you said, you have uh, different locations. So you have um, five locations, I think. Yes. So you have five locations for a PhD weight loss if people want to come and visit you um, at your locations. Where, where are those located? We're all over. Um, we're in Durango, Colorado, Farmington, New Mexico, and then Asheville, North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, and Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, cool. And then you can also, you have an online program as well. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, it's it's basically the same as our in-office program. And we've had our nationwide program for as long as we have had our, our in office brick and mortar locations, which developed largely from word of mouth, family and friend referrals. So, you know, our success rate is really great. About 95% of our clients hit their optimal weight. And our once, once we get our clients really where they need to be, we fully collapse that fat mass, they enter into maintenance, and maintenance is free. It's for life and we never leave their side. Wow. I really think that maintenance is where the work is to be done. And so just a lot of our clients were seeing great success and being able to actually maintain it. And so from that, we just got a lot of referrals all over the country. And then with all of the, everything that's been going on the last two years with at home, it just really helped us with that and serving people across the country, which is really exciting. Um, So the program is the same there. We create our customized meal plan. We also provide about 85% of the foods for our clients each week at no additional cost. Our clients don't have to use the foods if they want to do all of their own, or they can use our foods. And we just ship the foods to our at-home nationwide clients and our local clients pick it up each week. And it covers the majority of food except for dinner. Um, because I want our clients to become an expert at one meal at a time. This is like training wheels on a bike. Yeah. And at the beginning, we are holding your hand just with everything, including the foods, if you want to use them. And then gradually we release them. So it's like taking one wheel off of the bike at a time. And before you know it, you are free flying, totally sustainable, um, totally self-sufficient and no dependency on the foods, but they've just been a tool to allow you to see success. I think a lot of people are so, you know, have tried so many different things that if they don't see success right off the bat, they're like, heck no, I'm not doing this. This isn't working right. just like everything else. And so the way that we do it and the precision accountability and with the behavioral work, most of our men are dropping about three to four pounds a week. Most of our women, two to three. 
And so with that, there's motivation. They see that they're keeping it off. They're learning um, one meal at a time. So that's kind of how that aspect works. Yeah. And I think that that's a good goal to have. I mean, trying to get people to lose 20, 30, 40 pounds in a month is just, it's not, it's not reasonable and it's also not sustainable. It's, it's too much, you know, your body just doesn't, doesn't respond that way. I mean, it does, it can, but again, you'd be extremely restricting calories and probably doing it how you shouldn't be doing it. But Mm -hmm. so your husband is a doctor as well, and you run this business together. Um, He's also had weight loss struggle or weight struggles his entire life as well. how do you feel that that's helped you to create this business and help people in your business? Yeah. I mean, my husband comes from a family of morbid obesity um, and he's just had the struggle of, I mean, his, his trigger was birth, you know, as I was talking about just a genetic predisposition and he's had to fight it. And when I started creating this approach, we implemented this, you know, over a decade ago and I'm able to eat more and, and move in a way that just feels good. And I'm leaner and stronger than I was in my dancing days. And my husband himself has dropped over 40 pounds and wow. is the fittest ever. Um, and, and so I think that it just helps to show that you can make a change and that there are just some people who are genetically predisposed to storing fat, like I said, and, you know, being type two diabetic. So I, you know, and, and he has to be much more careful than I do. I can tolerate more than, than he can. And if he, you know, he, he, he knows now, and we're, we're so into this and educated and have practiced so much that he knows if he's eating off of what fits his lifestyle, he's going to feel it, but he can pull it back in where I think most people don't have that. They don't have that decade of practice where that's where that 15, 20, and then soon 60, 80 pounds comes in. Yeah. So yeah, I just, I would want people to know that they can do it if they want to. And there is a way to escape this fatigue and this chronic weight gain and do it in a way that feels and tastes really good. I mean, we eat really good food and we eat well, and we're not hungry, and we don't feel deprived. Um, And so I think his story is just really helpful to show people who have this genetic predisposition that they can be fit, and they can be healthy. Um, And just because they've failed in the past does not mean that they're destined to be uncomfortable. Well, I think you you said something that's super key, practice. Mm-hmm. So the first time you do something is the worst time you do something. And what people have to understand too, is that you're not going to be perfect from day one. It takes practice and 10 years of practice on his part, you know, right. over and over and over of doing it over and, and going off his plan, but bringing it back. And that's, that's a huge key to your success. Because I think what we do, what a lot of people do is, we go off the rails and just think, screw it, I'm done. I, I screwed up, I'm gonna eat an entire cake and have a milkshake and it's over, I'm not gonna lose weight, I'm gonna be this forever. So that's a huge key is practice. 
practice makes perfect and doing it over and over again and getting up and starting it over the next day and just not self-sabotaging yourself. That's right. I think, you know, even for our clients with maintenance, um, you know, I always tell every single client that it takes a year of checking in for what we call your monthly maintenance recovery weigh-ins. It's a recovery process. You're not in recovery until you actually get where you need to be and fully collapse that fat mass. And then you haven't practiced that during the weight loss phase. There's no practice. They're establishing new habits and behaviors, but you haven't actually practiced to maintain. So if you've been dropping weight for eight months, which can happen if you have 80 plus pounds, hundred plus pounds, then you, you've got to practice for twice that long. Right. And I don't think people realize that, or they think they can take their foot off the gas pedal the minute they get into maintenance. Well, that's not the case. I'm sorry to say, yeah. but that's where practice. And, and if you pop up, who the heck cares? Right right? There's no shame in that. There's no guilt. You're the one placing the shame and guilt on yourself. If you feel that and you've got to snap out of it right. because it's not serving you. If you popped up or you totally relapse, who the heck cares? That's the part of your story for some reason. And all that matters is you dust yourself off and you get back on the horse and you do it again, because with more practice and awareness, the relapses reduce in severity and frequency. And Absolutely. before you put my 10 pounds and you can, you, you catch it. So you just got to let go of the stories and the shame and the guilt that's just pulling you back into your past. Cause then you're going to repeat it. Right. You know, I really love this phrase is you only repeat the path. You only live in the past. If you repeat it, <laughs> um, if you repeat those actions. So um, yeah, maintenance, it just, it all takes practice, just like anything else that you're good at in life Absolutely. You know, every day. Yep. So you wrote a book called The Ultimate Weight Loss Secrets. Um, Obviously, I mean, what's in the title is what the book is about. So Weight Loss Secrets. Uh, But tell us a little bit about that where we can find it. Yes. Right now it's free on our website, which is myphdweightloss.com. So go there, check it out. You'll be able to download it. And I just Um, created it because I wanted to be able to provide an avenue to talk about visceral fat and how it works and why weight gain is not your fault and why we often regain. And then I wanted to provide some simple lifestyle strategies that people could implement on their own. Um, And so that's what the the book's all about. I, I think that I've heard that it's really helpful. So I hope that you guys find the same. Awesome. Well, so if anybody is looking for that, it wants to find that it's free ultimate weight loss secrets on my PhD weight loss.com. Um, so you can find it there and you can find out more about uh, PhD weight loss and about Dr. Ashley and her husband and her entire team uh, of amazing people. It looks like they're all trained professionals, uh, certified and trained professionals. So they know how to work with everybody. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to add for our listeners that you think would be important, especially going into the new year? Cause now we're in January and everybody's making new year's resolutions. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think a great resolution, something to help, um, with that, because I know the majority of resolutions are associated with fitness and wellness is to, to create a new identity, you know, think about who you want to be say by the end of 2022, 
And what is that person? Is it lean, vibrant, healthy, fit, whatever those words are that create some kind of emotion within yourself and act within that identity now. Yeah. Don't wait until you achieve it, but I want you to act within that, live in alignment with that identity that you've written down as your goal. And then you're going to think, okay, well, if I am that person, how would I wake up in the morning? What would my routine be? What would I keep in my pantry versus my fridge? You know, what would I choose to order when I'm dining out? If I'm already that person, I think too long we wait, like, okay, I'll be happy when I'll do this when, and instead we need to act with an alignment of that new identity now so that we can actually achieve it in the long run. I love that. I think that that is totally spot on uh, just foreseeing who you are in the future and being that person can help you to really reach that goal. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, so if anybody's looking for a, starting their new year's resolution or really wanting to make a change, my PhD uh, Dr. Ashley and her team are amazing and can help you get there. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, I will have all this information in the show notes, so please find it there, and we will all see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Real People, with your host, Gabrielle Mazar. If you would like more information on today's episode, you can find it in the show notes and on Gabrielle's website at www.destinationfitcations.com. Visit to keep an eye out for upcoming fitcations. Be sure to share the show, give this podcast a review, and subscribe so you won't miss an episode. Join us next week to hear more stories from people just like you. This has been the Fit Minute Podcast, Fitness for Real People with Gabrielle Mazar.